Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Hey everyone, and welcome back to A Little Better. My name's Aaron Hickson. I'm the Rochester Campus Pastor and excited that you are joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. As always, I want to ask you to consider being willing to do a couple things for us, namely rate, review, subscribe, share, all the things that make uh, computers happy in the background and let more people know about this. Every once in a while, we hear about like one poor soul outside of Northridge that has to hear a little better and it always makes us happy. So thanks for doing that. And I get to introduce to you guys today a very special guest, our speaker from Sunday, Daniel White, our executive director of kids ministry at Northridge. How you doing, Daniel? Good, good. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for jumping in and um, being part of this series. I know that you kind of got like uh, life snubbed on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that and the message you had ready to go and the grueling process we put you through. Yeah, so I was going to preach uh, a message on Jude 24 and 25 because um, Jude is only one chapter and uh, about eternal security without using that terminology. I was super <laughs> excited. was super pumped about it. Um, but, you know, God had other plans and uh, there was some craziness, you know, that unleashed in our city. And then Drew got up and uh, preached a phenomenal message on that weekend. And so it was, it was really good. Drop some flames, drop some flames. But he, he just basically said, nah, Daniel, <laughs> and it was, you're gone. But dude, I got to hear it twice in your pre-preach. So I can, I can attest to the fact that it was a good one. And actually your godson Coy made an appearance in that sermon as well. And I feel like he I did. know Coy. Like we're like <laughs> best friends at this point. Yeah. They're actually trying to come up to visit us and stay for about like a week and a half. Because uh, both uh, their parents work in uh, an elementary school and they're like taking a break for the whole month of December. And they're like, hey, why not? And uh, sure. So, yeah, with yeah. new COVID restrictions, actually, they don't have to quarantine for two weeks. Anymore. I know that, so, that's legitimately go. why they're thinking about coming. Um, and so because they've never seen a white Christmas either. So we're banking on that. Um, Come on. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Well, hey, we're not good for much up here, but we're pretty good for a white Christmas. So <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, dude, we have so much to talk about. I am really excited. And uh, we we were before this podcast uh, recording started, we started nerding out a little bit and it was like the classic, like, no, no, no. Okay. No more. We have to, uh, we have to wait and get this thing recorded. So by the way, if we have some technical glitches, my computer decided early this morning that it was like, you know what I don't want to do be on and it just <laughs> stopped working. So I hope that that doesn't result. I hope it doesn't pull that same trick in the middle of this podcast, but, um, you were week six of the series, Moses talking about, um, <laughs> the Old Testament law, which I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I don't know, right? You're a very recent graduate of Midwestern with your MDiv, what, how, like months ago, right? Just a couple months? Yeah. Back in May. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're fresh out of seminary. I'm not that long out of seminary myself. I don't know that there is a more commonly debated issue then the role of the new, the role of the Old Testament law, and then the other one in terms of like scholarly discussion out there, the other one that shows up all the time is the New Testament's use of the Old Testament, like when the New Testament yeah. authors quote the Old Testament. That's another one that like 
they love debating in seminary. But the relationship of our relationship to the law is like huge and deeply fundamental. It's one of the dividing things between multiple denominations. Um, so it, no big deal. But how about just for your first time preaching here at Northridge? How about you just cover that real quick? It, by the way, you just have 30 minutes, so it should be fine. Yeah, that was that was like that message and prepping for it was one that took longer than just a couple of weeks to bring about, you know, like we were talking beforehand in the, just the, the Lord's just like providence in placing me in that scenario, because that was some deep questions that I had, you know, like year two in seminary was what in the heck is the old Testament doing in, in the law, the old Testament law specifically in the role of my life, as a Jesus follower today in the 21st century, you know, 2000 years removed, even from just Christ, like, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so went on like a long journey and still wrestling through, uh, like, what am I supposed to do with this in retrospect? And, and it was just cool. And like, went, I read a lot of books, not a massive stack, but a short stack of books that tried to help me get my hands around it. Um, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, dude, it paid off. I genuinely like, for, for the fact that we, the questions you were assigned was what was the Old Testament in relationship to Jewish life and what is it in the life of a New Testament believer? <laughs> Those are huge questions and yeah. I think you tackle them extremely well in 30 minutes. So I was both impressed and grateful that you were willing to do that for us and I think it served our church really well. Um, but there's lots to dive into at a technical level. So I'm just going to start talking on, on, on this issue and try to set the frame a little bit for people. And then I would love to just have you respond to this. And you mentioned a short stack of books at some point, you know, r- rattle off some titles and authors and stuff. So our listeners and watchers can uh, check those out if they want. I'm sure they're a little more on the uh, technical side, but we've got smart people. So don't worry about That's it. Right. Uh, so fair warning to all of our listeners or watchers, if you're somebody who's not that interested in, you know, more technical theological discussions, go ahead and shut this one off because we're done. All right. There's nothing else coming right. except for that. So, uh, yeah, let's jump in and just talk about, okay, this is super contentious because I'll try to set the frame again and you just comment. It's, it's debated because, um, for one, Jesus comes, he shows up on the scene as a good law abiding Jew. He spends his entire life living by the law. And yet he makes some very controversial statements about the law. He says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it and not, you know, a jot or a tittle will be erased until it is all fulfilled. You know, so like, what does that mean? He, he seems to honor the Old Testament law but also say it's fulfilled. So we'll, we'll come back around to it, but remember that word fulfilled, that's the Greek word plerao, which has huge implications the, and the interpretation of that single Greek word can throw you in hugely different directions when it comes to this. So that's some of the relevant material is what did Jesus think of the law? Another um, big part of this is uh, what did the first century church kind of decide about the law? Because that was it, one of its biggest points of, contra- of controversy. If you think about all of Paul's letters, he's always talking about Jew and Gentile. And it's always like, what's the deal with Jew and Gentile? I mean, it was a racial conflict, but in the end, it was also a theological conflict. Do Gentile people have to act like Jewish people, meaning follow those, those Mosaic laws, all of the dietary restrictions, etc.? Peter and Acts has the huge vision where he's all food is declared clean, which is a total game changer. So if all food is declared clean, but then some Jews continued living a Jewish lifestyle, 
because it was how they felt comfortable relating to God. Is that wrong now? Do we all have to do it? Do we all have to get circumcised? And literally the whole rest of the New Testament is the story of Jews and Gentiles arguing over that question. And then it just honestly didn't get better over time. The debate continued to rage. And even to this day, again, in different denominations, which you can help us break this down a little bit about who views what, but you can think of, I think of denominations like, for instance, Presbyterians, who have a much closer relationship to the Old Testament law uh, than we would, you know, at Northridge, where they do see, for instance, um, infant baptism as a fulfillment of the circumcision of co- the, the, the covenant of circumcision. And so those things are related. They actually will practice Sabbath where they won't work on a particular day at all um, in an attempt to honor. And they would think of that typically as Sunday, not Saturday, because that's, you know, Christ fulfilled the law. So he moved it from Saturday to Sunday, whatever, on his resurrection. So there's a lot of different practice. Some denominations really follow the Old Testament law to the degree that they can. And other people um, don't follow it at all. And some people, even to the point in modern controversy, all the way up to very recently, Andy Stanley, a a famous pastor from Georgia, made some very controversial statements about us unhitching from the Old Testament, which was a quote from a sermon that has often been taken out of context. By the end of the day, he's saying, you don't have to follow the Old Testament law. And that absolutely blew up um, in the modern sphere. So, it literally from Paul to Andy Stanley, we've been fighting about this. And so I tried to give a little bit of a sense, you know, Jesus had things to say, Paul had things to say, um, Jews in the first century had things to say. Acts 15 is a Jerusalem council where the, all of the Christians are fighting about this and they come to the conclusion, we're going to say that, you know, you don't have to follow the Old Testament law, but there's a couple of them that you should do in order to be, you know, basically accommodating to Jewish Christians. So it's extremely messy. And why don't you just respond to that? Give me some thoughts about how you've landed and how you see these issues breaking down. Yeah, I love your uh, synopsis of uh, the controversy and just like, (laughs) everybody's fine about this. And so, um, you know, the first thing is like, I want to start with the the end in mind in the sense Mm -hmm. of just thinking about the idea of just rules and regulations in general of like law, you know, right? That's what laws are, the rules and regulations to govern our lives. You know, think about law in the modern context, all these things like that. And I'll just say in, in, by nature, they're not a bad thing. Right. And to Mm -hmm. have, to have our lives be governed by a standard is not a bad thing. So we, nobody listened to this podcast or walking away from the message yesterday or Sunday, whenever you're listening to this should walk away in the sense of saying like, awesome freedom. Like I don't have to follow anything. No, like Mm -hmm. my, my chief end goal was to kind of say like, in some type of way we have more difficult because it's like we have the law of Christ written on our hearts, a law of love that says, not do I have, you know, paper and pen to govern my life of like, don't do this, don't do this. But more so I have this standard written inside of me that says I should constantly put others needs in front of my own, uh, a law of love. And so it's more difficult, not less in, in, in some aspects. And then when it comes to like denominations and the role of the law, I think there are some unhelpful lines drawn when it comes to how to think about the law. Because yeah, talk about this. This is important. And people yeah. will have, if you grew up in church or you've read some of the stuff, you will yeah. have heard these distinctions. And I think it's helpful to talk about. Yeah. And so for, for example, there's one, I'll just give one quick book recommendation. It's called, I read it last year. It was released like in 2018. It's called, Is It Lawful? Um, by Matthew something. I don't remember his last name, but I can look it up in a second. Um, but 
he kind of pointed out that even some of the fathers of our faith, like uh, Calvin, um, said made these distinctions of moral law, ceremonial or civil law, and then like sacrificial law. Like he made these lines in the sand of saying, okay, New Testament believers, any law other than the moral law shouldn't be followed, but we should still follow the moral law because it's helpful for our society. The problem that I wrestled through with that is I don't think Jesus or Paul ever make those lines, you know, Mm. like Jesus, I think of one place from our uh, Easter sermon, you know, where Drew preached on Luke 24 uh, and, and Jesus says, the law and the prophets and the writings um, have all pointed to me. So what did, what did Jesus say right there in Luke 24? He says, the law. He's just referencing this massive portion of scripture that says, mm-hmm. this whole thing, it's pointing to me. And then other times when just, just do a Google search of Bible verses that mention the law of Moses, those, that phrase. And mm-hmm. you'll find several in the New Testament where the law of Moses, it's, the entirety of the law. We're not picking and choosing these laws of, oh, well, this falls into this category. And then I think some of those categories are helpful as we study the nuance of the law. But when we talk about the question I was trying to answer, which is what is the role of the law in a New Testament Jesus follower's life today? I don't think those categories are super helpful for us. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to, let's zoom in there a little bit, because I think if, if, a Christian were today approached by a non-believer and somebody said, well, why don't you follow the laws of the Old Testament? I think it's many of us have been trained to say, well, you know, there's actually different sections of the law. And so we only follow the moral law. And it ends up being this argument of kind of like, well, we do kind of, but not really. And mm-hmm. I think that that puts you in ultimately an exegetically kind of a shaky position yeah. because those are, those are arbitrary divisions that we've created in our more modern context. So right off the bat, we're not like, you know, following some clear biblical pattern. So that makes it risky. And so then you start to ask, what, which moral laws? You know, some laws might not sound moral to us today, but they probably felt very moral to the people in the time. You know, you, you, I was funny, you Googled as we were talking about this, like, make sure you lock up any dangerous animals. Like, well, we don't think about that as a moral yeah. law, but it, it probably was. Like, people's lives could have been injured, you know, if you didn't do that. So that's a moral law. Well, we don't follow that today. And so the, you're on a very shaky footing if you're saying we take part of it, but not all of it. Now, again, there are whole stripes of Christianity that do that. I just think it puts you in a pretty risky position because eventually someone's going to have to say, okay, well then, you know, why do you wear mixed fabric clothing or whatever, you know, and your argument against that has to be, well, that's a civil law. Well, that's (laughs) not that strong of an argument at the end of the day. It certainly doesn't sound very biblical because it's, that's a non-biblical division. It's not anti-biblical. It's just not from the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what I I think the helpful point in our conversation is, okay, so what did Jesus, you know, what did he say in that Mm -hmm. instance? And I think when we, we look at a specific, um, just biblical theology in a sense of the law, uh, which one, probably the most helpful book that I read is biblical theology, according to the apostles, which is in the new Testament or, or new studies of biblical theology, little gray book, really great, um, talks about New Testament writers that reflected on the story of Israel. That's essentially okay. what it is. Um, and if you look at just Matthew five seventeen, where Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, and just those two words, abolish and fulfill, like talking about what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the word abolish, if just 
in Greek, the original language, bringing it to its end is, is to bring to nothing, essentially, is to bring to nothing, to bring to no hold on you, to mm. not have a hold on you. If you compare that to what Paul says in Galatians, which is arguably just the, an, a letter written to a group of believers that were like arguing over this exact same thing. Do we follow the law? Do we not follow the law? Are we Jewish people? Gentiles, do we follow the law? Do we not follow the law? Like mm-hmm. this whole thing is, that's exactly what Paul says. He says the law was a tutor and Israel was under that tutor, uh, that slave master, you know, in a sense, mm-hmm. like lo- um, leading her in that way, Israel, no, but no longer, no longer are you under her, mm-hmm. um, under that tutor. And so, but Jesus says, I've fulfilled it. I've come to fulfill the law in its entirety, mm-hmm. um, which in essence is to bring to its completion, to bring to its true color, yeah. um, which that's what he did. And so that's what I tried to bring out in a section in the sermon where I talked about like before the law was even established, Genesis mm-hmm. three twenty one. what's God do to, to a deal with Adam and Eve's sin? He makes a sacrifice and he covers them. Yeah. Um, you know, so God makes a sacrifice before Leviticus and before all these things, uh, before Israel is even established as a nation, you know, it's just man and woman and, mm-hmm. and they mess up. They mess up everything. But God makes makes a point where he's saying, you know, this eventually is going to be fulfilled and done with in the future. Because I've made you a promise, you know, Genesis 3.15, there's going to be a snake crusher, mm-hmm. uh, one who ends evil. Um, but it didn't happen the way anybody thought it would, essentially. Yeah. And so that fulfillment is, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, there's a sacrifice, they're covered. Then there's Passover, there's a sacrifice and they're covered. And yeah. that's all pre-law. So God has already established a relationship with multiple people through the sacrifice that co- that atones or covers over sin, propitiates, uh, it absorbs the wrath of the, sac- the sacrifice that absorbs the wrath. Okay. So that happens in Genesis. It happens again in Exodus, all pre-law. And then you get the law and you have a huge sacrificial system, all designed to be of a picture of what was to come, the perfect lamb, who was the once for all sacrifice. And if you're interested in how this all plays out, the book of Hebrews is a great New Testament one. Yeah, to go that's to a great reference. Because it's written to Jewish people who are wondering about who is Jesus. And he's compared to angels. He's compared to Moses because they loved Moses. They loved the law. And he's saying, yeah, the once for all sacrifice has come in Jesus. So he perfectly fulfills it. But then that release from the law is very hard and has been historically very hard for people to accept because it is two thirds of our Bible. You know, okay, obviously the whole Old Testament is not law, but like it is a huge portion of our Bible. So to say to someone, to the New Testament Christian, hey, the Old Testament law has nothing to do with you. It is the Old Testament and Testament is just a Latin translation of the word for covenant. So it's just the old covenant. You now live in the new covenant, the New Testament. And so to say like, yeah, no, it literally doesn't matter. Well, that's like, wait, I mean, it, it kind of does, right? I mean, like the Ten Commandments say, you know, don't murder and don't commit adultery and don't lie and don't steal and all these things that like you still shouldn't do. So like, what do you mean? It doesn't matter. It's not binding on me at all, which is our view that Jesus totally fulfilled it, play raot it, which again, there's, there's so many books written on just that word <laughs> and what he meant. But, you know, it literally means it's totally done, it has no binding on you. The only reason we say don't murder don't steal, don't lie, any of those things is because they either explicitly restated in the New Testament or because they fall under the banner of living a life compelled by the love of Christ, which puts others first, which 
is the law of love, which is the law that we must now live by. Yeah. So there, the, sometimes there are parallels between what the New Testament says not to do and what the Old Testament says not to do. Yeah. But what that tells us is not that the Old Testament is binding. It just means that God was the same then as he is now. And so he still doesn't like lying then and now. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would even say, and going in as we've had this conversation, I think what's really helpful is saying it's the Old Testament law isn't binding on you as a follower of Jesus meaning it's not critical for you in order to have a relationship with God. Right. Um, like the old Testament law, if the reason it was put in place, like the go to the end of the book of Exodus and what's happened the whole way through the book of Exodus. Don't want to spoil alert this story, you know, our series that we're in, but like Moses is in, you know, in close proximity to God constantly time and time again, he's coming up the mountain, down the mountain. And then they get led by a pillar of, uh, cloud and then fire, kind of all these things are happening. But then at the end of the book of Exodus, Moses isn't able to come into the tent. Like the last, literally the last verse of the book of Exodus, Moses is no longer able to come into the presence of God. What follows right next in the book of Leviticus is, is the book of Leviticus, which is, okay, Moses, if you do want to come into my presence, these are the way that you get to come into my presence again. Mm-hmm. But now Fast forward to us modern day, Jesus fulfilled the law. So he is our great high priest. He is the greater than Moses. He is greater than that. He's greater than all these things because we have access to a close proximity to God through him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why the Old Testament law, it has no binding on us is because, because of Jesus. You know, it, it seems like a scapegoat answer, but it's not because that's legitimately what the story of the Bible is saying. Mm-hmm. There was a problem that was fixed temporarily, like it was a right. band-aid solution called the law, which eventually gets fully fulfilled in Christ. And as a result of that, we have access to God. And the reason that this is, you know, such a huge controversy in terms of how does the law affect the New Testament believer? I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Some of them come down to hermeneutics and how you view the Bible, the lens in which you wear, the lens you wear when you're reading the Bible, which has vastly different impacts and a covenant theologian perspective versus a dispensational perspective are two of the ways that end up with disparate views, you know, infant baptism, not infant baptism, the, whether or not we are the spiritual Israel or not, and all those things, they, they end up having implications. But um, the other huge reason that this is big is what was salvation in the Old Testament? Because if you think about the sacrificial system, it's easy to think about it as they were earning their salvation. They were doing enough good things in the old school way. And so now today we have to do enough good things to, to fulfill, which is why I think it's so important that what you, the distinction you made, that they began with relationship and then came the rules. And that's true. That same exact paradigm is still true. It wasn't like the method of salvation, because that's a big question in theology. Did the method yeah. of salvation change? And the answer is no. The method of translation has, I mean, of salvation has always, always, always been God's unmerited favor extended yeah. to humanity in the form of a relationship, which is always immediately followed by a set of clear expectations as to the way to honor the relationship which I have just given you. In the Old Testament, that came in the form of 613 culturally relevant civil, ceremonial, moral, and sacrificial laws, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And today, that same exact thing is true. Unmerited favor, grace extended in the form of a relationship, and now you are bound by the restrictions of the law of Christ. And Jesus walked through, even in Matthew 5, of course, this famous Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, 
AKA the, the law required, but I say to you, heart issue. He elevated the game of the difficulty of following God because we had direct access to the power of the Holy Spirit and a new law compelling us the law of Christ. Exactly. And that's in the Sermon on the Mount is where all these different nuances and denominations come, right? Is mm-hmm. was Jesus returning to the heart of God, what he intentionally originally meant, or is he bringing about something completely new? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so had they, yeah. So, so that's, that's some of the nuance comes, right. And that's, yeah. that's between all those denominations in that sense, but how they interpret Matthew five through seven, how different denominations would interpret Matthew five through seven is one of the biggest arguments, you know, because it's pre, it sounds a lot like Jesus after his death, but it's all still pre his death. So it's the question of like, was this for the true spiritual Israel or is this applicable to the life of the believer? And there are people who would literally say, I'll never preach a sermon on the Mount to a new Testament believer because it's not for new Testament believers. It was an accurate restatement of the heart of God for Israel, not for believers. So like, I mean, it gets crazy out here. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, I think some of them like so should we, should we even look at the old Testament law or the old Testament in general, like as a new Testament Jesus follower, like, is it just like whatever, uh, to us, which I would answer my own question and say no. Um, because when I study the old Testament and specifically by looking at the laws with the lens of like second Timothy three sixteen in my mind of all scripture, you mm-hmm. know, is breathed out by God, you know, um, I am, I'm encouraged by the fact of what Old Testament believers did in order to like gain access to the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I'm doubly encouraged the fact that, man, I don't have to do those things. Like yeah. what the extent that God did to rescue us um, is incredible. And it always makes me appreciative that uh, new temple, right? yeah. <laughs> like that my, my body is a new temple for the Holy Spirit and he's living and active inside of me. And so, yeah. I love that. And that's a really good practical question to be asking. Like, okay, so what do I do with Leviticus? I think you're right. It reveals, it tells us who God is. It reveals, which is an amazing thing to know. It also, I think every New Testament Christian, even though we don't have to follow the book of Leviticus or numbers or whatever, I think we ought to care because Jesus, if he fulfilled it and he was the perfect Israel, we are, the better we understand what God was requiring and what Jesus fulfilled, the more grateful we'll be, the more excited we'll be. And this, this is from God. So we ought to know it as well as we possibly can. We ought to know yeah. it because it, Jesus doesn't make any sense in without the context of him being a, the, the full fulfillment of the Jewish law of Moses. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the better you understand that, the better you'll understand Jesus. The better you understand Jesus, the better you understand God, right? He's the ultimate revelation of God. So it's not wasted time, but exactly. it's not the same kind of, it's a different kind of study. You come to a different conclusion than when you're right. reading, you know, Romans 12, for instance, is a great example of like a bunch of very specific commands from Paul to New Testament believers about like yeah. outdo one another and showing honor and blah, blah, blah. It's very specific commands. Well, man, you ought to live. We ought to be looking at that as like, these are my marching orders. When I look at Leviticus, I say like, wow, God devised such a beautiful system for our redemption or something. You're just coming at it with a different perspective. That doesn't mean don't study it. So here's my final question. Exactly. We're going to end here. Um, talk me through, if I'm a person who doesn't understand, you know, different views, answer the question to me, why do some Christians honor the Sabbath to the point of not 
working, not many number of things, you know, even like you can think of the laws of the United States, there are counties, you know, still where you can't buy alcohol on Sundays or, you know what I mean? Like there's like, let's, in other words, let's treat Sunday special. Um, Walk us through a hermeneutical perspective that could, that would come to that conclusion and help us understand that a little bit. And then we'll wrap up. I mean, a hermeneutical perspective on the Sabbath, like, you know, it starts in the first chapters of the scripture, you know, where God made the day, uh, the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Like, mm-hmm. so I think most light faith traditions uh, of Christianity who come to the conclusion that we must Sabbath by law um, say that, well, it was outside of the law as a mandate. It's inside of the law as a mandate. Um, and, you know, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath you know? And so new Testament, it's like, so it's mentioned in different ways, all in different sections of scripture. So hermeneutically of, of your interpretation of scripture, it's like, well, it's everywhere. Therefore we must do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So in a short answer, hermeneutically, they would just say, at least the conversations I've had of people who follow those mm-hmm. Sabbath by law, mm-hmm. look at it from that lens. Now, so talk, in, to me, talk to me about like circumcision or something like that. Like, I'm sorry, infant baptism. Like for those who see something like that, that there has to be, basically we should be looking for parallels from Old Testament yeah. law to New Testament practice. Yeah. So Old Testament law on circumcision, circumcision, um, that's probably the, the one that's like uh, the blinking headlight, right? Like it's right in front of us, the flashing neon sign because the Presbyterian uh, faith comes come to those parallels that, Circumcision was used um, in the Old Covenant, in in the Old Testament to be, we're we're not really sure, you know, where circumcision came from originally. Like we can just go ahead and like throw that out there. Mm -hmm. But we know that it was used in Israel to be an identifier that Mm -hmm. you belonged to Yahweh. You Mm -hmm. belong to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And now fast forward to, to the New Testament they would see that direct parallel like, okay, how do you publicly declare that you belong to the Lord? Oh, mm-hmm. baptism. That's mm-hmm. how we publicly declare. Well, Israel would circumcise their young. Therefore, we should baptize our young. Mm-hmm. So that would be hermeneutically how they would come to that conclusion um, and paralleling those things of Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Let's bring that over with mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And that's, that comes from a, uh, as you're saying, a hermeneutical tradition, Presbyterianism or Lutheranism in the reformed tradition that follow covenant theology. They're looking for spiritual Israel. They believe failed its covenant responsibilities. And in Christ, we are now spiritual Israel. So we are looking, we are bound by old Testament laws that are reiterated in the new Testament. They look at household baptisms as an indication that like households would have included young children and they're looking for ways that the church and Israel have continuity in mm-hmm. a in a dispensational perspective, which is what many Baptists are, including myself. Um, what what we're looking for is actually discontinuity between Israel and the church, because what we're looking for is a distinction between church, the church and Israel. Israel is an ethnic group of people for whom God still has a future plan. And that would look like the millennial reign of Christ on earth, where the promises to David and Abraham and Moses are all fulfilled on earth in a literal physical way. And that's for the people of Israel. Um, and so God has not, is not done with the people of Israel. We're actually looking for him to fulfill those promises to that ethnic group of people. But in the Presbyterian or reformed tradition, what they're looking for is 
that they have all, every promise to Israel has found its yes in Christ. They are spiritually fulfilled. And so we are looking for and expecting parallels from the Old Testament law to the New Testament in things like Sabbath rest and circumcision and those kinds of things. And they're looking for, they're not looking for discontinuity. They're looking for continuity as opposed to, you know, a different perspective. So I think we have probably sufficiently bored our average listener and thrilled our... I don't know, above average nerdiness listener. That's right. Thank you for covering this. This is incredibly relevant. And I would ex- I would hope and expect that there are people with questions. So podcast at northridrochester.com. Uh, we can, uh, we'll, we'll forward those over to Daniel <laughs> so he can answer all the hard ones. And any, right. uh, any book recommendations that people, I mean, if you have a couple, you've already mentioned some, those are great. And um, as people have questions, we'll be sure to give them more information. There are great YouTube videos on this issue. There are certain sure. reviews and books. We'll get everybody what they need. Any any closing remarks here, Daniel? Uh, the only thing is that I didn't open up with uh, teaching people how to call the hogs. Um, and so if anyone needs a private lesson, whatever the case needs to be, I would be more than glad to do that. In light of the season that the Razorbacks are currently having in the mm. SEC. And so. Hallelujah. That's we right. didn't talk. We didn't talk enough sports. You know. That That's right. Well, we ended with that. That's right. Uh, there we go. <laughs> sports had to come up. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad <laughs> we did. It. I feel so relevant now. Hey, Daniel. Thanks so much for taking the time, everybody. Thanks for listening again. Please rate, follow, review, subscribe, comment. However, you can get us some feedback. We always do appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.